Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trans Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, AMT's Technology Analyst. Steve, it's awesome to record another episode with you. How have you been? I've been well. I've been better, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm a little under the weather today. Oh, that's fine. Uh, you know, not can't say the weekend, but you know... It's Wednesday. I feel like the week just started, so maybe I have been under a weather under the weather for a while. Sure, but sure. Uh, you know, speaking things of un- are looking better. Speaking of under the weather, there's been some uh, recent issues. Uh, I want to talk about the Colonial Pipeline breach. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a mediocre segue, but it's, it, it'll get us by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited because okay, you know, let's just. I'm going to come out with it. We agreed that before we would start recording, you would come with. You'd come to. Uh, uh, the podcast with some actual facts and I would come with opinion and experience. <laughs> and as far as I know, they're uh, well, so I've got some friends down South now yep. and um, I personally haven't experienced much with the gas shortage, or at least so people think it's a gas shortage because right. they're stocking up on gas. Like it was toilet paper a year ago. <laughs> and um, so I did pull into the gas station yesterday, not thinking anything of it. I'd heard about like the pipeline breach and pulled into the shell station, you know, actually I didn't wait in line. There was a wait. There's like six pumps at my uh, station that I like to go to. Um, and I was like two cars behind, but anyway, you know, it, it's, it's, there was a wait. I've not, this isn't the first time I've had to wait for gas before though, but uh, hearing from some of my friends down South, they're like actually have seen people had to wait in line, like out in the road. They weren't even able to pull into the gas station. I've never had experienced that before. Um, But, uh, and, and, and as uh, a lot of them told me that, the people in front of them were like filling up jerry cans with gasoline <laughs> and even it got as bad as or as ridiculous as um um people were filling up like beer coolers oh no with gasoline which isn't even made to hold fluid certainly highly flammable <laughs> fluid so i mean you know as if this pandemic hasn't like caused enough uh death and destruction in, across the world, now we've got back in the U.S., uh, people are about to blow themselves up because they're not <laughs> properly handling gasoline. Yeah, and and I, then, oh, another one of my friends who was laughing at the uh, people freaking out over gasoline, he's like, dude, you know, do they realize that, like, gasoline doesn't hold for very long? You got, like, six months before it's, like, shot. And this is true. I know this with experience because – uh you know, for almost the entire pandemic, I hadn't been on the motorcycle and that thing was these, the bikes were very difficult to start yep. um, when we got back to it, but fill me in with like what actually happened. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this company, they provide uh, distribution for uh, fuels and a bunch of other products all along the Eastern seaboard. Um, and they had a breach. So their system was, their IT system was uh, attacked by ransomware. Uh, they're not exactly sure what the threat vector was, but it was in the system and locked out the entire, uh, say, IT system. And the the article I was reading actually does, does a very good job of separating the issue. So they have information technologies and then operational technology. So, uh, you know, we talked to uh, Lockheed Martin a couple of weeks ago about 
the issues that yeah. they have on securing their manufacturing floor. And that was an interesting takeaway that, uh, you know, uh, Colonial Pipeline is basically, you know, utility, their infrastructure. But mm-hmm. they're very similar to a manufacturing facility where they have equipment that's controlled locally or you could say remotely too, but equipment that's controlled and data that's being stored. So similar to our office environment, right? So you have the IT infrastructure where we're shuffling papers around and sending uh, emails back and forth. And then we have the AMT testbed that is, you know, machining stuff. We've got a robotic arm uh, where those two elements are somewhat tied together. They're on a switch, but they are segregated, right? So they have Mm -hmm. different computers running it. And the big takeaway here is that, you know, they're, IT structure, their information system was uh, locked down, uh, but their operational technology was still able to actually continue functioning. The reason that they shut it down is they were concerned about spreading uh, a spread of the ransomware that was on their uh, data servers. Right. Uh, so they, I get that. Yep. So they did a temporary shutdown of their production system. So when you mentioned that there's a gas shortage or people perceive a gas shortage, no, there's just a temporary shutdown of the <laughs> distribution of the gas until they can get their system restored, you know, part of their disaster, wow. IT disaster recovery, which everyone has a, some, a plan for. And I'm sure these guys have a plan for it. They just need the time to execute it. So it's I, about control, Ben. <laughs> it's about control, exactly. <laughs> so I thought it was very fascinating that, you know, we've been working with Lockheed on exploring what um, the uh, issues are on the manufacturing floor and uh, being able to communicate to from your IT infrastructure to your OT uh, and that's a growing theme that the systems that we have a place for, like the office environment, may not be the yeah. best for high communication flow on the uh, shop floor. You know, if you're pulling right. data off a machine tool, um, you know, you probably want a slightly different infrastructure for that. So uh, it's, it's fascinating, both on the issue, the breach mm-hmm. issue that they had, and they're able to contain it to one system, and all the goobers around us are like... And the goobers who <laughs> have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Let's just buy all the gas. Dude, the nice guy's phone must be blowing up right now. Yeah, Jan Nice is probably having some very interesting conversations about this. <laughs> so, Steve, let's let's kick it off with some articles, man. I, I got a good one on uh, soft hand ro- robots. Uh, so, at first, when I read this, I was thinking soft robotics. You know, you Same. Know, you know, Same. Pneumatic systems, very flexible systems. So, the article gets into uh, high dexterity end-of-arm tooling. So, that's the interesting uh nuance about this where the company is actually called soft robot soft robots um mm-hmm. oh, soft robotics sorry uh and the uh cool takeaway is that they're able to manipulate food beverages very very delicate equipment without damaging um the equipment so damaging the article uh so they have a, a gripper that they use to pick up cereal bars without damaging them which is you know some cereal bars are fairly delicate which i i find interesting uh and they're Pick rate is uh, up to 60, min- 60 pieces per minute, which actually is fairly good, you know, one, once, a, once a second, uh, and that's moving along pretty well. Yeah, and that's really cool because, like, what is it, 60 pieces f- per minute, mm-hmm. you Correct. said? Yeah. And it, that what's cool because, like, you know, sure, a human can do, might be able to do faster than that if they're fully trained. Right. You know? maybe right before lunch, yep. but I bet you that drops after lunch and it's probably different on a Friday. Yep. It's, it's nice that with, you know, with this kind of robot, you yep. can get really nice consistency and uh, never ending energy out and, of it seemingly. And the second use case is, you know, uh, 
everyone can agree that they're good, but I wouldn't say it's directly applicable to manufacturing. So they're picking up marshmallow bunnies uh, and they've got up to, you know, 300 <laughs> picks per minute. So, you know, if you look at the scale and, you know, what the application is, um, you know, dexterity and delicate parts that robots are able to get into as a new market. I think this shows kind of a new use case, new horizon where, you know, people are concerned, am I going to crush this part? It's a very valid concern. I used to work on parts where you had to um, measure in the unrestrained condition because they're so mm-hmm. flexible. You actually had to just lay it on the table and kind of measure it as is. You know, if you use contact measurement uh, equipment, you had to be careful about the force you're actually applying on the part where it could elastically deform it but throw off your measurement. So uh, I find this as very reassuring for companies that are doing some delicate parts, very small parts, um, things that could be broken easily. Yeah. It's it, it's uh, to get the gentle touch out of a ro- of a human mm-hmm. out of a robot is uh, a daunting task, and yep. it's it's cool that we're actually getting some headway towards it. Absolutely, you got some uh, article on was it three D printing wood? Is that uh, yeah yeah this cool startup called uh, uh, Forest appropriately named <laughs> Forest, um, but job, spelled Mark differently F O R U S T. Yep. This company 3D prints uh, wood parts, and it's more than just, um, you know, squirting out a machine squirting out like a slurry of wood glue and sawdust. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are reusing, like recycling sawdust because, you know, you think typically think of a lot of woodworking as subtractive manufacturing. Um, But uh, these guys... um, are printing wood parts, recycling sawdust, and you know you're getting your complex geometries that you can get with additive manufacturing. Um, but they do it in such a way that as they're printing the parts, you can actually get the the surface finish and the wood grain structure of uh, a piece of wood, like That's a natural cool. piece of wood, as if it was cut that way. Wow. Um, so it's it's something really special. It's it's cool to look forward. I, you know, keep an eye out for forest in the news. Mm-hmm. And I just like one of the first things that I thought of was you know okay, there's so many other materials right now that we can do additive with. Like you know, I remember a couple of years ago when a university was 3D printing parts out of glass, which mm-hmm. was really cool. And it seems natural, you know, right. um, but you know, you've got the popular plastic and plastics are evolving. And um, of course, metal additive is going to take over eventually. Um, but uh, you know, having a bespoke made um n- fancy geometry part 3d printed out of wood i i really want to like design my own um um bespoke fit to my hand shift knob for my car (laughs) out of like some fine walnut with an internal lattice structure and just like send it to them but uh oh and that reminds me i should mention before we move on to the next article that uh they're starting out as manufacturing as a service so you ship them designs and they'll send you back a wood part which is really cool um but uh but they do plan on actually selling printers as a product. I do. I really, really like that because, you know, when we, the next article talks about kind of going to more green uh, processes and 
being a, I've always been concerned about recovery of like waste products. So like sawdust is very interesting to me that we cut so much in the in the world in general. We cut so much wood. Even in my garage, I was doing a little project with my uh, home theater system trying to jerry-rig the projector screen where I was cutting wood and I was like, I got sawdust everywhere. What do you want me to do with this? I, I, I can't do anything with this. But being able to recover and do something with that, either the energy or waste product, uh, it's very, very fascinating. And I think there's a lot of opportunities in general for like, so for example, like cars, right? We use turbochargers to uh, uh, add Recycle more, exhaust gases. Recycle exhaust gases, exactly. We were using recovery systems and hybrid engines to uh, charge a battery. So our ability mm-hmm. to recapture this theoretically lost energy and put it back into some, even at a low efficiency as a starting point is really a, a great future state. I'm, I hope I hope to see more industries take part in and I, I really interested to see if, you know, that gets um, more adoption. And, you know, if I look around the house, right, there's so much, I have so much wood furniture, like like my bedpost. That'd be fascinating to see, like, the, the bedpost for my uh, bed to see if that was, if that could be 3D printed or a very unique design where, you know, that could be. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's not like making stuff out of wood pulp is new because it's not. I mean, right. Particle board and MDF, I think is what, you know, mm-hmm. people call it. it. It has been around forever, but it's right. never been done in complex geometry shapes, which is really going to be cool. Yeah. My cure, I don't want to be that negative guy. And I'm sure that they have an answer for it. And I'm sure there's an answer for it in the article, but um, I don't want to be that kind of pessimist, but I, I, I am curious as to, um, what are fire hazards like with sure. sawdust? Yeah. Because I'm sure, you know, it, that's one of the common concerns to anybody who's ever owned like a wood shop is right. like you know, sawdust can actually be quite dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And I was watching uh, some YouTube, which I've been doing the past year and a half by now, every day, all day. Uh, and this guy has yeah. a woodworking shop and he has, um, you know, uh, heaters in his garage. You know, sawdust is, could be very flammable in that environment. And, you raise an interesting concern with 3D printing in general. The raw materials feel very dangerous at some point, you know, especially, not even especially, but um, uh, uh, powdered metals. You know, you have inhalation issues. You've got potentially explosive issues with some of the materials. Um, if, you're melt, if you're using plastics, you have um, uh, outgassing issues as you're melting the plastic. You need to create that, clean that environment. So I think in general, uh, 3D printing has a lot of work to do to educate the consumer, or in this case, if it's a consumer or the market of the health risks that they need to uh, keep an eye out for. Yeah. And while that is, does seem like a disadvantage, I'm sure when it comes to 3d printing wood using sawdust, I'm sure a lot of the concerns with 3d printing sawdust have actually already had like a, a good start taken towards them in solving them. Cause I'm, I mean, you know, it's one thing to think of, sawdust is being a flammable uh, or uh, you know yeah flammable and causing a fire hazard um but the other thing is like what happens if like you know it starts raining it, <laughs> like you're, you're in the middle of printing something it's right. raining you got the windows open and the humidity changes <laughs> like do you now need to worry about your yeah. part warping yep. now, i'm not trying to sound negative to this sure. company i want 3d printed wood parts this is awesome but like it's I'm, I'm sure and again i'm sure they've thought of these things and I'm, i'd be curious to hear 
what the answer is, but it's just there's a lot to consider with additive seems like magic yeah. uh, in a lot of cases, but there are a lot of problems with it as you know, we've found out, you know, studying this stuff for however many years it's been now, but they're, they're solving it. And I can't wait to see what uh, it's going to look like at like, for example, the next uh, yep. SFF solid freeform foundation or whatever it is. Uh, symposium. I don't know, man. Yeah. The solid freeform uh, symposium over in uh, Texas. Yeah. That's it. SFS. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I don't know if I brought this, use case, this uh, scenario before, but you'll be surprised how important the environmental conditions are for manufacturing in general. So, you know, our, mm-hmm. we talk about a lot of use cases and using machine tools. Uh, but if you get into like welding or joining processes, uh, my old job, we did um, uh, welding and uh, joining of uh, super alloys, uh, high temperature super alloys. Uh, and it was class A welds or class B, class A welds where you either had, had to do force and penetration inspection or you had to do x-ray subsurface inspection. So fairly difficult and fairly critical parts. And we're getting uh, a wave of rejections at one point. We had a lot of uh, porosity, a lot of defects, a lot of uh, uh, um, issues welding these parts uh, that were catching inspection. And we realized that um, over a couple of days that there was a frequency when this was occurring, and it was occurring when someone was leaving the back door open to the, to the <gasps> welding area. It wasn't in someone's booth. You know, their booth is fairly far away, but when they would leave that back door open, we would introduce all this high-velocity air into the uh, environment where it was throwing debris and uh, yeah. know, causing issues with the uh, backing gas and the torches and things like that. So, you know, it it was fairly interesting, and normally would have, I don't think no one would have thought that you'd have welding issues from having a door open, but, you know the criticality of your environment. So, uh, so right. important, right? Absolutely. And especially so in additive, yeah. like yeah. I know, um, you know, it, 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 at space, pretty much every time I've been to space somebody's talking about like, you know, the beauties and the benefits of additive manufacturing in space. Yeah. Well, in space, uh, fire hazards <laughs> are like the, the biggest and greatest hazards you can have, yeah. you yeah. can have, so uh, I doubt uh, you'll ever see wood 3D printing in space. <laughs> Unless they're printing outside the ship. <laughs> yeah, true, uh, true space printing. Uh, the next article I've got is uh, GKN produces Rolls-Royce engine compressor case using 3D printing technology. Oh, now, the confusing one. I'm going to throw a little shade on 3dprintingindustry.com <laughs> because the title is a little misleading compared to what they did. Uh, right. But let's back up a little bit. So Rolls-Royce has been uh, pushing, it's called the Ultrafan engine. And what they're trying to do is meet uh, clean sky initiatives um, in Europe. So they're trying to reduce uh, CO2 emissions. And, and noise, noise right? And noise, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you, you mentioned noise. Yep. Um, and a significant amount. I think they're trying to get to like 25% better efficiencies overall. Uh, and we're talking about turbofans in this case. So 140-inch mm-hmm. diameter fan blades. So, you know, very, very large, bigger than, you know, from here to the basketball hoop. Um fan blades so these are large business large jumbo jet uh fans um and then the takeaway from the article is that you know i think these high efficiencies that they're shooting for uh require fairly unique fairly progressive manufacturing techniques to achieve these unique shapes uh so in this case they have an intermediate uh compressor case so on the front end you've got your compressor then you have combustion in the middle and then uh, i'm sorry yeah combustion and then um turbine section on the back end 
so the compressor, you could have up to 30 stages, you know, the low stage, uh, intermediate stage, and the high stage. Uh, and in the high stage, you know, you're approaching 600 PSI um, of uh, pressure at that point, very high temperatures. But in the intermediate case, uh, they have a, a cast intermediate case that was um, uh, manufactured through traditional means. And then they have some of the attachments that were uh, bolted onto that or uh, help secure it to the the rest of the casing that were uh, uh, additively made. And, you know, their goal is to shoot for uh, 25% more fuel efficient from this engine. Uh, so I thought it was a very fascinating look of aerospace seems fairly progressive of adapting additive as a technology and seeing the progression into engine components where it's fairly critical components um, and the value that they're harnessing. So every, you know, 1%, 2% that they can save on fuel efficiency, that's significant dollar back in their pocket. Uh, so, you know, go flying to uh, England might be fairly economical in the future because it's fairly expensive for some odd reason, or even Germany for some odd reason uh, recently. But, uh, you know, I, I think so it's, a, it's a great, great look at um, what they call sustainable air travel um, in, the, in the years to come. See, yeah, no, it's it's really cool. But what's up? Uh, let's talk about uh, so we got stuff flying. Let's talk about uh, you got an article on light the world's lightest objects. Yeah, I figured we close with this uh, this article. I had a lot of fun with it. It's a listicle. Uh, it's been a while since we've got a good listicle uh, either on here or in the tech report. Uh, so it was really it was to my pleasure when I uh, saw this one come across my uh, my screen. Um, but this article is from. Uh, 24 7 wall street and it's titled the 20 lightest objects in the world cool and you can file this article this listicle under you know light reading for um material science awesome uh and at first you think okay you know once you get into the list when you once you start at number 20 which i believe is the lightest car ever made which surprisingly and to my yeah to my surprise is not a race car it's an actual like production car but uh well say calling it a production (laughs) car might be a stretch but um you know it starts with a car and they start with kind of like everyday objects and it's just like this is the lightest make and model of this type of object uh, like out there okay and it's mostly like a lot of these companies and or people who are just going after guinness world book records sure or world record um and you know, they certainly got it because some of them are really impressive like uh, the world's lightest bicycle and world's smallest and lightest uh, cell phone are, are some of the examples at the beginning of the list. And right around the middle of the list, you get into the real meat that we would care about um, when it comes to actual like manufacturing materials. Um, there's, a, I think, uh, two mentions, two or three mentions of graphene and two or three mentions of... Um, Aerogel. Okay. And I honestly, aerogel is such an exotic material, even more so than I'd say graphene for sure. that matter. Um, I didn't realize there was more than one type of aerogel. Um, but like, you know, it, the graphene was cool because apparently there is a naturally occurring form and, and it might be pretty loose, but there's like a naturally occurring form of graphene in the lightest wood in oh, the world that's fascinating. and you know we constantly think of the lightest wood as being like balsa wood 
um, which technically is the lightest wood that has any sort of uh, structural value. Right. Um, but there is a lighter wood that is very close to being graphene, which is kind of wild. Um, but uh, naturally, number one, the lightest object in the world is a photon. Sure. Uh, which really pleased, you know, my <laughs> physics background because, you know, yeah, it's light. It doesn't have any mass whatsoever. It has energy, but has no mass. Um, and then like the top five were all uh, subatomic particles of the sub, uh, of the standard model, which was really cool. And one of them was uh, the lightest quark of subatomic particles. The lightest quark is the up quark. <laughs> And uh, just as a quick sidebar and kind of like fun fact that I really had a lot of fun you know, telling people sure. is that like, you know, all those subatomic particles, especially quarks, there's like they come in pairs because they need like an equal and opposite version of itself. Right. And so the up quarks opposite is the down quark. <laughs> and there's another type of quark called the top and its opposite is the bottom. And when they were discovering all these quarks, one of them that they discovered was moving and and acting erratically and they observed it and they had no idea what they were doing and they call so naturally they called it the strange and um when they found its opposite that's the they figured the opposite of strange is charming so they called (laughs) the opposite of that the charm quirk but uh thank you for letting me nerd out on some (laughs) physics real quick but this this article is really fun and it, it gets in some really cool uh uh, material science. And I, I do enjoy those type of articles. It does stretch my memory of old college days trying to re- recall all the different uh, physics class that I've taken. So that was that was great. And I really <laughs> like the naming convention. I mean, it, f- I, you know, I, I assume phys- physicists are intelligent, but, uh, you know, originality may not be up their, <laughs> up their alley, but I mean, that, I, that's fun. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's funny because you're talking about the lightest objects and, you know, the car that I just I've been chasing after like a light car for a long time. So the first car that I bought was a Volkswagen Golf. And once I realized I'm fairly handy modifying car, I just started stripping everything out of that car. It was a four door. I took out the back seats. Uh, I changed to racing um, seats in the front, uh, trying to make it as light as possible. It's a Volkswagen Golf. There's only so much you can do. Uh, Yeah. I think, you know, the stock weight was maybe 3,500, 3,300 pounds. I was, I was able to strip out maybe two, 250 pounds out of that, which... Oh, wow. So you great. got it under 3K. Definitely. And... That's awesome. I did notice uh, a few improvements in the drag strip. Uh, then I moved up to the BMW, which is inherently going to be heavier. Uh, and now I've got the world's heaviest car. <laughs> <laughs> At least it feels like it, right? <laughs> it pushes around so much. Oh, man. I... I feel bad because I've strayed away so much from, you know, when I first got into cars, but it's, it's such a fun car for the, um, uh, convenience of having four, four full doors and being able to sit a seat for people, for normal adults. Someday I will be right there with you. (laughs) So thanks, Steve. This was a great episode. I great, uh, appreciate the uh, topics. Where can people find more info about us? They can find more about us at amtonline.org slash resources. Awesome. Bye, everybody. Bye.